This is a presentation of LifePoint Church. Our mission is to make gospel-centered disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information, please visit sharethelife.org. Luke 24, 1-9 But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. My name is Zach, and today is the best day of the year. It really is. I believe it. Think about this for a minute. We're here today because a man who died canceled his own funeral. By raise of hands, anyone been invited to a funeral that got canceled by the person who died? Anybody? We're so sorry the doors are closed, he's actually alive. We're here because a man died and, and he canceled his own funeral. Now, maybe you're here today and, and you're used to some Easter sermons that maybe present some evidence that that's true. You know, convince you, persuade you. And there's lots of evidence for that. And you could go find that on your own time. Today, I don't want to talk about evidence. I want to talk about the reality and the experience of the resurrection. And if you're a skeptic this morning, or you've been kind of church, but you're really not sure about this whole resurrection thing, can you do me a courtesy this morning and just stay open-minded for a second, and let's just ask this honest question. What if it's true? What if it's true? What if 
Easter is really true. What if a dead man actually canceled his own funeral and had the power to do it? What if it's true? And if it's true, what difference would it make in your life today? What difference would it make? I want to talk about experience this morning. And that's actually the question that Paul poses in the text that you heard read. The Apostle Paul writes this letter, Romans, and at the start of chapter 6, that's precisely the question he's asking. Look, look at the question with me. He says this, look, for five chapters, Paul has been unpacking what the gospel is. Five chapters of Romans. You want me to summarize it in one sentence? Dare. Good, you're on. Five chapters of Romans in one sentence. Are you ready? Sinners like me. Like me. And you. Sinners like me and you are made right with an absolutely brilliantly holy God. Not by any of our efforts, but by the free gift of grace in Christ's death and resurrection. That's five, five chapters of Romans in one sentence. Or if you're Christian-y and you're used to Christian-y terms, five chapters of Romans is that sinners are reconciled and justified with God by grace through faith. Justified by grace through faith. That's five chapters of Romans. That's what the gospel is. That's what he's been doing for five chapters. And in chapter six, Paul asks the question, so what? So what if it's true? What difference would it make in the way that you live? Don't you see the question? It's right there in verse one. See it with your own eyes in the text. 6-1, what shall we say then to this gospel? Five chapters. What should we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, there were, there were these critics of Paul. When Paul said, look, there's this grace of God that's absolutely free and you can't earn it and he just gives it to you because he loves you by faith. Opponents said, this radical. Religious opponents at that time said, no way. That's way too good of good news to be true. And so here's their argument. They go, okay, okay, Paul, <laughs> you think this grace is really free? Wouldn't that make no difference in someone's life? Like, wouldn't they just take the grace of God like a ticket to heaven in your back pocket and then go on continuing in the old life they have been living? Right? God forgave me, I'll just keep sinning, and the more he forgives me, the greater his grace. That's the argument. Does the gospel make no difference in the way someone lives today. What's Paul's answer? With the strongest Greek grammar he can muster, by no means. Translate, no way, Jose, uh-uh. You have not understood what the gospel is if you think the gospel of grace saves you and it makes no difference in your life. And Paul wants to unpack then, what difference does it make in your life? What difference does it make? 
And here's my premise that I'm going to argue today. I believe Paul is saying that the resurrection means that it's not just a hope for your next life. It's the hope of a new life today. Like right now. Right now. Or, or another way to put it is that the resurrection's not just the hope of a ticket to heaven that you stick in your back pocket and keep living the life however you want. No, 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 no. The resurrection's not just the hope of a ticket to heaven tomorrow. It's the hope of a transformed life today. Today. That's what I'm arguing. It changes your life radically. And that's what Paul argues. Notice his argument then. See it with your eyes in the scripture. I'm going to highlight it and you're going to see it come. I want you to see the connection between the resurrection of Jesus and a brand new way of living. Resurrection of Jesus, brand new way of living. See it as it comes in verse 4. End of verse 4. Look at it with me. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, resurrection, by the glory of the, fa the Father, the power of God, what, what follows resurrection? We too might walk in newness of life. Resurrection, brand new life. Now that word walk is used throughout the Bible. If you've been around church or read the Bible much, you know that's a metaphor for just how you live your life. We use that word today, right? You gotta walk the walk as a preacher. You gotta walk the walk. That's the metaphor for life. The metaphor is not what bugs me about this verse. Something bothers me about this verse. <laughs> Look at that word walk. Now throughout the scriptures, the resurrection of Jesus is regularly taught that it should bring a new life tomorrow. And that is true. That's a mind-blowing reality of the resurrection that you too, one day in Christ, will be resurrected. You get life with him for eternity. That's a future tense promise. So one would expect when Paul writes a sentence about Christ being raised from the dead that what follows would be future tense. But it's not. That bugs me. Look at that word. Walk in newness of life. Not future tense, aorist. Why? Paul is saying, he wants to highlight a reality, not just the reality that there's new life tomorrow. He's trying to say there's a new kind of life. He puts two nouns next to each other, not just adjective new life, but noun, newness of life. Big exclamation point. Lighting it up as a billboard. There's a brand new life. It's nothing like your old life, and it's here in the present not in the future. Paul, why didn't you use a future tense? This sermon would be shorter. I wanna know, does the resurrection make any difference in my life today? And that's what Paul is arguing. So what is the quality of this new life? He says right there, newness of life. All right, what is it, Paul? What's new about this new life? and how can we have it? What's new about the new life? And how can we have it? To not leave you in tension, let's answer how you can have it first, and then I'll tell you how great it is. 
How can you get it? He follows that argument right there in verse five. See the text with me. Verse five, how can we have it? Verse five, the reason for, that word is grounding an argument. He's saying for, here's a reason that the resurrection brings newness of life. Why, Paul? How do we get it? For if we have been, conditional clause, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Two times, did you notice the word united? It's a funny word, it's a compound word, it's a gardening word, I can't garden, I kill lawns all the time, but this is a gardening word. It's a compound word, it's literally the word grow and together, combined, grow together, gardening term. If Jesus was teaching with this word, he would teach it from John 15, where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You're grafted into me. You're like a weak branch dying. And God comes and cuts you off from your old life. He scrapes the bottom of it. You gotta mess up the branch. And then you gotta scrape Jesus, the vine, and you stick them together. You graft the two, you tighten them up, and all of a sudden, the nutrients and life and sap of the vine of Jesus starts flowing into you, the branch. United. That's united. And Paul says that's the how of the resurrection bringing newness of life. Conditional clause, you want to have that newness of life? It's if you've been united. Well, then the million-dollar question is, how do we get united? That's the million-dollar question. And he doesn't answer it here. That would have made for a shorter sermon. So we got to go somewhere else to find it. And there's lots of places, but we can go to Colossians 2. Let's look at Colossians 2. Having been buried with him in baptism... Notice the word with him, that's united, in which you were also raised with him. Union, do you see the union language? What's the means? Dia. How did he pull it off? That's that word through. Faith. 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 You want to be united to Jesus? You bank your whole life that he is who he says he was and you believe by faith every day. That's who he was. Summary. The resurrection brings newness of life. How? By union with Christ that happens by faith. That's it. Well, I'm not a plant, are you? And that illustration's cool, but sometimes it's not concrete enough for me to understand what's it like to be a plant and then be grafted in somewhere else. So I need, I need something else, and I'll give you a different illustration. What's this union create? What does it create? Union with Christ is, is kind of like this. I want you to imagine for a moment a rags-to-riches story. Strapping young gentleman, he's born into absolute poverty. He works his tail off. He goes to night school. He gets a PhD. He's CEO of the company, and he's earned it all by his own effort. He becomes tremendously wealthy. Not kind of rich. We're talking Elon Musk. I'm going to buy Twitter rich. Okay, he's super wealthy and he earned every dollar himself. And then he sees a woman who's incredibly poor. And he says, I love you. Let's get married. And the day they get married is a union. It's a union. And though she did absolutely nothing 
nothing to earn it. The day they are united, everything that was earned by his effort becomes hers. Everything. That's union with Christ. The king of kings. We're talking the maker of the universe who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who has all power, all authority. This king, by grace, says, let's be united. And everything that I earned by my obedience and my death is now yours, free. That's union. That's the mind-boggling grace of God that's available to you today. And you get it by faith. How does the resurrection give us a newness of life? You want it, you gotta be united with Christ, get his inheritance, and you get that by faith. What else would this union with Christ give you? Paul, there's the phrase. He says, walk in newness of life. Super new, 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 new life. Brand new. What's it like? What are the qualities of it? And there are so many. <laughs> They're so glorious. And I only get two today. Just two. If I speed up, we'll get two. What do you get? Through the resurrection of Jesus, the quality of the newness of your life. Through the resurrection, you get freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. See it in the text with me. Look at uh, verse nine, and I'm gonna set it up with Romans 6.23. The penalty of sin, when I use that word, the penalty of sin is death, and I get that from Romans 6.23. That says the wages of sin a life lived out in absolute rebellion to your maker. You just say, forget you, I'll live my life my own way, that's sin. And the wages of that, what you earn and get paid for that kind of life is death. And none of us, right? You know death is coming. Who's getting older <laughs> and knows death is coming? It's coming. That's a reality. And we sit in that penalty of death apart from Christ. But look what Christ has done in verse nine. It says in verse nine, we know that Christ being raised from the dead, that's resurrection, will never die again. Look what doesn't have power over him anymore. Death no longer has dominion, dominion over him. Dominion is like the way death puts its thumb on you and holds you down. Do you feel that sometimes? Not so with Jesus. No power, no dominion. Why? Why does Jesus not have the power and dominion of death hanging over his shoulders? And here's our reason. Because Jesus was different than humanity in one very key way, many ways, but one key way. He was sinless. I mean absolutely sinless. I mean every temptation never gave in. I mean every moment 
God asked him to do something, immediate obedience, fulfilling it completely. That was Jesus. And that's why in Romans 4.25, this is a good summary verse. Check this out, Romans 4.25. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. Okay, we get that as Christians. He was delivered up. He was sent up on a cross and died for our sins. We get that. But look at the next part. And he was raised for our justification. This is 425. If you've been around the church for a while, you're questioning me right now. You're going, hold on, Zach. When we talk about justification, being made right before a holy God, that's usually like a Good Friday topic, isn't it? Christ died, and by dying, he paid the debt of our sins. We're justified. Good Friday. What are you doing talking about that on Easter Sunday? But it's here. It's here in verse 25 of chapter 4. He was, look, raised for our justification. He didn't just die for our justification. He was raised for our justification. What's the connection then between the resurrection of Jesus and our justification? And I dig, and it's, it's kind of like this. It's like when Christ died, he paid the debt of our sins, but when the Father raised him from the grave, it was God saying, well done, it's enough. And he validated what Christ did. That's how it gives us justification. It's, it's almost like this. Imagine that when Jesus died that day, there was a cosmic court of law held. I mean, like in the universe, imagine. And, and Jesus is put in handcuffs that day and he's drugged into court and guess who's sitting as the righteous and holy judge? God, the Father, he's judge, he's holy. And Jesus is on trial, he's died. And for three days they're deliberating. Death itself comes and tries to make claims on Jesus and Satan comes as an expert witness and he says, oh, he's not worthy, he's not worthy. I think he really did sin. Come on, examine his life. Find one moment, all I need, all I need is a pebble of sin and I've got him, I've got him. But Sunday came. And God, the righteous judge, picked up the gavel. And he said, Jesus, you are worthy. Climb out of that casket. You are worthy. The resurrection was God the Father shouting to the, wor the world, Jesus, my son, is innocent. He's enough. He's worthy. Let's celebrate him. Jesus, you take off that crown of thorns. You put on a crown of glory. Your work is done. Have a seat at my right hand and reign forever. That's what the resurrection does. Don't you see? God validating Jesus becomes your validation when you're united with him. Folks, the way the Father felt about the Son the morning of Easter, with all the affection and love and brimming with fatherly pride for all that he has done, guess what that means when you're united with him? That's how the Father feels about you. 
It's that good. Don't, don't you see? It's not just a ticket to heaven. You, you, your moral record isn't just wiped clean to zero to go on living now that you know Jesus and really trying. It's not wiped clean to zero. Christ's obedience becomes yours. He hands you his driver's license while he's getting dragged out to capital punishment. And he says, you take my identity. Not just forgiven sins, perfect obedience. The Father smiles on you as if you had done all the good that I've done. That's justification. And that is one piece, just one, that's all I get, one or two, of what the resurrection brings, newness of life today. How does that change your life today? How does that change your life today? Maybe you've been walking in shame for years. Maybe you've experienced some of that shame from the church. You just feel like you're never enough. And you go through life wondering, am I ever enough? And you're afraid of death because you wonder, am I ever enough? You have faith in Christ, you're united with him. All those doubts in your mind, you can say doubts, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. And you got cancer and you're lying in the bed and you wonder what's gonna happen the moment you breathe your last, you trust this promise that by faith you're united with Christ, you can look in that moment, death in the eyes and say, death, you're dead to me. That changes how you live today. Today, not just tomorrow, today. What's one more? Not only does the resurrection free us from the penalty of sin, but the resurrection frees us from the power of sin today. Look at verse six with me, verse six. We know that our old self, this old sinful way of living, was crucified. Spiritually, we died the death that Christ died on a cross. We were crucified with him, why? in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So Christ frees us from the dominion of death. He frees us from being enslaved to sin. We've got the penalty of sin. We've got the power of sin. He breaks both of those. But what does the resurrection have to do with that? Because he doesn't say anything about the resurrection. He says it's the death. He was crucified so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. You gotta keep going to verse 10. Here's where the resurrection comes in. Verse 10. For the death he died to sin once for all. There's the death. There's Good Friday. But the life he lives. Resurrection. He's really alive today. The life he lives, he lives to whom? To God. In other words, he's died to an old master sin. Sin, you got nothing on me. I'm free to live to God, to serve him, to be mastered by a good heavenly father and actually do good. That's what happens in Christ and it's what we can have through union with him. It, it's like this, I've heard a lot of people share this so it must be a good illustration but I heard it from Martin Lloyd-Jones first, and he, he put it like this. Imagine two people groups. On the one side, you've got a, a people group who's been enslaved, and they've been enslaved to another people group for generations. It's a pattern. 
That's not hard to think about when you think about U.S. history. We don't have to go that far. Okay, enslaved people group, master people group. And one day, imagine a good king comes and he says, I declare the slaves free. You're free. Go, be who you are. And all the slave people, they they celebrate, they rejoice. It's a merry evening, but the next morning, one of those slaves is walking down Main Street and he bumps shoulders with his old master. What happens? Maybe, maybe just maybe that that old master in pride might still push the the slave around. He might say, hey, go get me some water. And, And maybe, just maybe, that slave who is now set free might shrink back. He's so used to that. He's so used to his master. He might say, okay, master. And he might submit to his old master, but the master has no authority over him, does he? No power, no enslavement anymore. This is the Christian life. The day you believed in Jesus, you were set free. You are a new person. You are no longer a slave, but you've been living enslaved to that old master for a long time. And it will take you time. Every time you bump shoulders into sin and sin tempts you, you might go, oh, okay, yes, and cower and get it a glass of water. But that's not who you are. You're free, don't you see? And incrementally, day by day, through faith, a battle that will take you the rest of your life, Christ will make you walk in the newness of life he already made you. Be who you are. That's the Christian life. So you see a bunch of hypocrites here this morning at church. You're right. You're right. We are. We're just used to being slaves. And we're growing in grace every day to walk in this newness of life. How does that change the way you live? You've been walking in shame maybe for years. Maybe even Christians have made you feel ashamed of your own sin. But in Christ, through union, by faith, You can look any sin in the eye in your life and you have new power now. You can look at sin and say, sin, you are dead to me. You're dead to me. A dead man named Jesus canceled his own funeral. So what? What difference would it make? The resurrection is not just good news for your next life tomorrow. It's great news for your new life today. Today. You are free from the penalty of sin. You're free from the power of sin. And by God's promises, one day when he resurrects you, guess what, Christian? You will be free from the presence of any sin. It's gone. Just glory with Jesus. Today, some people have chosen to die with Christ and walk in that newness of life by faith. And they, they wanna go public with that news. This reality has already happened, but they wanna symbolize it in baptism. So what's happening up here? Nobody's getting saved, they're already saved. It's a symbol. 
This ring doesn't make me married, okay? Still married. It's just a symbol. So is baptism. But it's symbolizing this amazing reality that as they go down into the water, they are buried with Christ. They've died to that old way of living and all the old masters. And as they raise out of the water, they're raised with Christ to newness of life today. And that's what we celebrate. This is a presentation of LifePoint Church. Our goal is to encourage and equip people to become fully developing followers of Christ. For more information, please visit sharethelife.org.